0: Hello and welcome to this pay-per-view special. Join me on a journey through time and space as we explore a fascinating story and a new take on evolution, human nature, and human society. We start with two articles on DNA. This is in The Express. CRISPR, genetically modified girl, was given enhanced brains, warned scientists. Modern medicine has worked miracles in improving the quality and length of life, and science's influence in medical matters could well accelerate soon if CRISPR's immense potential is harnessed. But news that twins in China had their genes modified before birth, in a premature case of human experimentation, shocked the world. CRISPR holds extraordinary promise for treating and preventing a wide range of diseases from cancer, heart disease and even mental illness but ethical concerns have been made about the use of genome editing, in addition to fears CRISPR could be misused or even transformed into the next generation of biological weapon. Such ethical concerns appeared validated after news broke in January about two genetically edited girls born in China, and a leading scientist has now voiced fears that genetically modified babies may have had their brains changed. Twins Lulu and Nana were thought to have had their genes modified before birth by a Chinese scientific team using the CRISPR editing tool. The goal was to make the girls immune to infection by HIV, the AIDS-causing virus. A new research shows that the same alteration introduced into the girls' DNA deletion of a gene called CCR5 could be linked to greater success in school. Alcino J. Silva, a neurobiologist at the University of California, said the answer is likely yes, it did affect their brains. The simplest interpretation is that those mutations will probably have an impact on cognitive function in the twins, says Silva. He says the exact effect on the girl's cognition is impossible to predict and that's why it should not be done. The Chinese team led by He Jiankui of the Southern University of Science and Technology in Shenzhen claimed it had controversially used CRISPR to delete CCR5 from human embryos, some of which were later used to create pregnancies. HIV requires the CCR5 gene to enter human blood cells. The CRISPR experiment was widely condemned as irresponsible and He is under investigation in China. News of the first gene-edited baby also fueled the debate whether CRISPR technology could one day be used to create super-intelligent humans, perhaps as part of a biotechnology race, between the US and China. There is no evidence that he actually set out to modify the twins' intelligence. It is understood the controversial Chinese scientist never reached out to researchers studying the effects of CCR5 on cognition, as he did to others from whom he hoped to get scientific advice or support. As far as I know, we never heard from him, says Miu Xiao, a professor at the Western University of Health Sciences in California. Although he never consulted the brain researchers, the Chinese scientist was certainly aware of the link between CCR5 and cognition. It was first shown in 2016 by Zhao and Silva who found that removing the gene from mice significantly improved their memory. The team had looked at more than 140 different genetic alterations to find which made mice smarter. Silva says because of his research he sometimes interacts with figures in Silicon Valley, red light there, red flag, And elsewhere, who have, in his opinion, an unhealthy interest in designer babies with better brains, don't they just? This is why, when the birth of the twins began to make headlines, Silver says he immediately wondered if it had been an attempt at this kind of alteration. I suddenly realised, holy shit, they are really serious about this bullshit, says Silver. My reaction was visceral repulsion and sadness. Yeah, they're just a little bit serious about it. Second article. This is in the Express. This is in the Express. Human Brain Project. EU's... Shocking $1 billion plan to grow silicon brains in a lab. This continues from the previous article. The Human Brain Project is the EU's $1 billion flagship science initiative working on developing human-machine hybrids. The ambitious enterprise's primary aim is to stimulate the human brain using computers, improving science and technology on the way. Professor Katrin Amunds, HBP's scientific director, believes tangible results are starting to arrive. Halfway through the Human Brain Project's 10-year tenure, Ten year tenure, 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 tenure. She said, we are trying to emulate the capabilities of the brain. We are trying to understand the brain's principles and the organizational rules behind cognitive function. What we're trying to do at HPP is try to understand how we can use our knowledge about brain organization and transfer it, for instance, to new computing devices called neuromorphic devices. The Human Brain Project is developing two major neuromorphic machines, Manchester University's Spinnaker and the University of Heidelberg's Brain Scales. The spiky neural network architecture, a.k.a. Spinnaker, is the world's largest neuromorphic supercomputer designed and built to work in the same way a human brain does. Spinnaker is unique because unlike traditional computers it does not communicate by sending large amounts of information from point A to B. Instead, it mimics the massively parallel communication architecture of the brain, sending billions of small amounts of information simultaneously to thousands of different destinations. The Brain Scales Project aims to understand information processing in the brain at different scales, ranging from individual neurons to whole functional brain areas. The project also wants to extract generic theoretical principles of the brain function to use this knowledge to build artificial cognitive systems. Neuromorphic hardware emulating brain function is the more likely candidate for creating effective and efficient next generation computers believes Professor Ammons. She said artificial intelligence is playing an increasing role in industry, society, education and medicine everywhere but when we look at the structure of these networks they look rather simple as compared to what we have in the brain. And to understand how these natural networks in our brain are so efficient at some tasks would be a very natural way to also provide input for AI and for new computers. And this is what we're trying to do. We want to make computers more neuro-inspired than ever. But Professor Ammons also believes it is the collaborative process as well as scientific successes that are important. The expert said, we have quite a few success stories in terms of brain medicine, basic neuroscience theory, computing technology, and these can be seen in the science publications which are coming out, the patients that are being submitted to the research. But perhaps even more important, we have created a research community that is united by the need to understand the brain and that is prizing the development of new information communication and technology tools and benefits from those tools. And perhaps one of the biggest successes is that we achieved this, we created this environment where we researched the human brain benefits in medicine and technology. We found a fantastic framework to create these synergies. The scientific director listed two recent success stories from a five-year-old project saying, one of the HPP's big advantages is we have different sciences work together, which has resulted in a new personalized approach for patients undergoing surgery for epilepsy. Epilepsy is a very bad disease and the outcome of surgery is uncertain. So what we did at HPP is use new imaging to scan the patients before the surgery and then make a very individual model of their brain connections. Added some theory, then suggested to the surgeon how the operation should best be performed. This illustrates our work, the neuroscience approach, neuro imaging models, theory, and resultant medicine all coming together in this project. The article goes on. And another example offered is the development of a neural prosthesis for the blind. A fellow researcher in Amsterdam is developing a brain prosthesis which can help people without sight. Professor Amant said he is using basic neuroscience knowledge examining how visual information is processed in the brain. He then develops a physical prosthesis and uses AI to guide him and at the end you have a new therapy. This would seem to be the guy this scientist he mentioned in the previous article a fundamental point to understand this whole story is that dna does not have to be manipulated physically dna is an antenna and it has its own frequency if you can target dna on that frequency then you can change the nature of the dna that way without any cutting or splicing there was a study published on the u.s national library of medicine national institutes of health website called DNA is a fractal antenna in electromagnetic fields. A fractal is basically anything when you zoom into it and you get the same pattern no matter how many times you zoom in. And it says, the purpose of this study was to review the responses of DNA to electromagnetic fields in different frequency ranges and characterize the properties of DNA as an antenna. And the conclusion was that the wide frequency range of interaction with electromagnetic frequency is the functional characteristic of a fractal antenna, and DNA appears to possess the two structural characteristics of fractal antennas, electronic conduction and self symmetry, that's what I've just said about zooming in. These properties contribute to greater reactivity of DNA with EMF in the environment, and the DNA damage could account for increases in cancer epidemiology as well as variations in the rate of chemical evolution in early geologic history just to pick up on a point there before we go on, this line, and the DNA damage could account for increases in cancer epidemiology. Basically, what it's saying is what I've said before, and I talk about in episode 44, part 2, where I talk about how wireless technological radiation, which comes from all manner of wireless electronic devices these days, including smartphones and smart meters, can cause cancer. I mean, the body on one level is an electromagnetic entity if you've got distorted electromagnetic information, making contact with that electromagnetic entity. What does anyone think is going to be the outcome or could be the outcome? There's another way to affect DNA without doing so physically, which I'll get to. Most people have heard of DNA, but hardly anyone has heard of RNA. The difference between the DNA and RNA is the difference between the hard drive of the computer and the person using the computer. The hard drive may store the information, but the computer operator decides which information to activate at any point. This is decided at any point by our emotional perceptual state. RNA can also be knocked out of kilter by environmental influences and toxins in the body. I talk in episode 25 about the toxic world we live in. Most people have no idea just how toxic our environment is and even items in the home can be. Including water by the way which is full of chemicals. And in some places is full of fluoride which has very significant health consequences or can have. This toxicity, these environmental influences can cause the RNA to misread the information and send the wrong signals to the cells or not to send any signals to other cells. This will all become very relevant later on. I've mentioned before a branch of genetic research called epigenetics, and this basically means that acquired traits, not just physical but also mental and emotional, like personality and also environmental and experiential influences can be passed on down the generations. Epigenetics means that a genetic change is not brought about by physically, structurally changing or mutating the DNA, but by the processing of the information of the experience or the environmental influence, which is stored in the DNA and passed on to the next generation. So if we look at the Generation Snowflake crowd, what we're seeing now is the creation of the Generation Snowflake by giving people more and more excuses or reasons to be offended, and then the inheritance of generation snowflake by the next generation so generation snowflake just keeps being passed on down the generations unless an experience changes a person's perception and that will happen with some people of course it will but generally most people will inherit the snowflake mentality and keep it for their entire lives and thus pass it on to the next generation there's also what's known as genetic memory which is similar again this will be very relevant later on Dr. Michael Levin at Tufts University in Massachusetts has produced frogs and tadpoles which have eyes on their backs or grow six legs through a combination of physical and electrical manipulation. It's horrendous to look at the results. I would read an article out. I saw about this in the Daily Mail, but I can't look at the pictures. It's just, I just find it grotesque. But there is an article about it if you're interested. And it does show that DNA does not have to be manipulated by splicing or cutting. And genetic manipulation doesn't just have to be done through sexual procreation. There's other ways to do it. CRISPR, which that article talked about at the start of this, can be used to alter the human genome. And here we have the real reason for any DNA editing breakthrough. These technological advancements have to be sold on the basis of their benefits, or alleged benefits, when they're ultimately about manipulation and control. As I've said before, the technology we see in the public arena is nowhere near the technology that exists outside the public arena. If we're being given access to advanced technology, we have to ask why that's happening and look at the agenda. There is an agenda to mutate human genetics. It's just playing out through GM food, radiation from wireless technology, pharmaceutical medicine. There's more than one way DNA is being targeted. There's an article here on phys.org or physics.org. I guess that's short for, about CRISPR gene editing. And it says, CRISPR gene editing can cause hundreds of unintended mutations by Columbia University Medical Center. As CRISPR-Cas9 starts to move into clinical trials, a new study published in Nature Methods has found that the gene editing technology can introduce hundreds of... As CRISPR-Cas9 starts to move into clinical trials, a new study published in Nature Methods has found that the gene editing technology can introduce hundreds of unintended mutations into the genome. This was published on May 2017. We feel it's critical that the scientific community consider the potential hazards of all off-target mutations caused by CRISPR, including single nucleotide mutations and mutations in non-coding regions of the genome, says co-author Stephen Sang, MD, PhD, the Laszlo T. Vito associate professor of ophthalmology, which is a branch of medicine and surgery that deals with the diagnosis and treatment of eye disorders. And he's also the associate professor of pathology, and Cell Biology and is also the Associate Professor of Pathology, which is a branch of medical science that involves the study and diagnosis of disease through the examination of surgically removed organs, and Cell Biology at Columbia University Medical Center and in Columbia's Institute of Genomic Medicine and the Institute of Human Nutrition. CRISPR-Cas9 editing technology by virtue of its speed and unprecedented precision has been a boon for scientists trying to understand the role of genes in disease. The technique has also raised hope for more powerful gene therapies that can delete or repair flawed genes, not just add new genes. The first clinical trial to deploy CRISPR is now underway in China and a US trial is slated to start next year. But even though CRISPR can precisely target specific stretches of DNA, it sometimes hits other part of the genome. Most studies that search for these off-target mutations use computer algorithms to identify areas most likely to be affected and then examine those areas for deletions and insertions. These predictive algorithms seem to do a good job when CRISPR is performed in cells or tissues in a dish, but whole genome sequencing has not been employed to look for all off-target effects in living animals," says co-author Alexander Bassok, MD, PhD professor of pediatrics at the University of Iowa. In the new study, the researchers sequenced the entire genome of mice that had undergone CRISPR gene editing in the team's previous study and looked for all mutations, including those that only altered a single nucleotide. A nucleotide is one of the structural components or building blocks of DNA and RNA. The researchers determined that CRISPR had successfully corrected a gene that causes blindness. But Kelly Schaefer, a PhD student in the lab of Vinit Mahajan, MD, PhD, associate professor of ophthalmology at Stanford University and co-author of the study, found that the genomes of two independent gene therapy recipients had sustained more than 1,500 single nucleotide mutations and more than 100 larger deletions and insertions. None of these DNA mutations were predicted by computer algorithms that are widely used by researchers to look for off-target effects. The genome, by the way, is the genetic material of an organism. The DNA, the whole thing, basically, involves the DNA, not the DNA itself. Researchers who are not using whole genome sequencing to find off-target effects may be missing potentially important mutations, Dr. Sang says. Even a single nucleotide change can have a huge impact. Dr. Bassock says the researchers did not notice anything obviously wrong with their animals. We're still upbeat about CRISPR, says Dr. Mahajan. We're physicians and we know that every new therapy has some potential side effects, but we need to be aware of what they are. The article goes on. Researchers are currently working to improve the components of the CRISPR system, its gene-cutting enzyme, and the RNA that guides the enzyme to the right gene to increase the efficiency of editing. We hope our findings will encourage others to use whole genome sequencing as a method to determine all the off-target effects of their CRISPR techniques and study different versions for the safest, most accurate editing. Dr. Sang says the paper is titled Unexpected Mutations After CRISPR-Cas9 Editing In Vivo. In vivo means... Studies in which the effects of various biological entities, living things, in other words, are tested on whole living organisms or cells, as opposed to the tissue extract or dead genetic organism. Another important point to make about all this is that people see biology and technology as separate entities, but the elite and their gopher scientists and geneticists in the intelligence networks in the underground bases and and the unpublicized projects, especially in what are known as Dumbs' deep underground military bases. These dome-like constructs that go underground, that are basically all underground except for the top. See, biological is technological. I've talked before about the body being a computer in episode 24. It's a biological computer, it works exactly like a computer, and as such, technological rules apply as much as biological. The body is electrical on one level, For example, DNA is the hard drive of the body computer and it can store colossal amounts of information. The brain is a processor of information. The information it receives through the five senses decides what we experience. An artificial brain, going back to that article from earlier, can be manufactured to only receive and therefore process information on the level of the transhuman cloud or smart grid. That's the transhuman agenda I talk about in episode 11. DNA is also a receiver and processor of information now our story begins and we start with this article what killed the dinosaurs new research suggests volcanoes not Killer asteroid responsible. Millions of years before mankind walked the Earth, dinosaurs ruled the world. It was commonly assumed that dinosaurs' demise was triggered by a massive asteroid that slammed into the Earth 66 million years ago. But a pair of landmark new studies have shown a huge volcanic eruption contributed to the giant prehistoric reptiles' extinction. Volcanic eruptions spewing climate changing gases into Earth's atmosphere destroyed the dinosaurs long before the killer asteroid arrived. This is according to groundbreaking new research unraveling the mystery of how dinosaurs were wiped off the face of the Earth after walking the Earth for millions of years. The mass extinction asteroid event is possibly the most famous of the five mass extinctions that have struck the planet, but the exact circumstances surrounding it have until now remained mysterious. While the discovery of the chick Tulip I think I pronounced that right. chick crater in the Caribbean appeared to confirm an impact by an enormous asteroid sealed the dinosaur's fate. The solidified lava field of India's Deccan Flats alters that narrative. Measuring more than two kilometers thick in some places, these rocky stretches in India are evidence of massive volcanic activity that took place around the same time. Crucial to calculating whether volcanoes or asteroids were responsible for the mass extinction is determining a precise time for the eruptions in relation to the impact. By using uranium and lead within minerals from the solidified magma, scientists identified four enormous volcanic events that began tens of thousands of years before the asteroids struck. Each lasting around 100,000 years, these explosions would have spewed incredible quantities of climate-altering greenhouse gases likely leading to the first wave of mass extinctions. These new results were released alongside another contemporaneous study which arrived at a slightly different conclusion. Their dating of basalt rocks of the Deccan Flats appeared to show most of the eruptions took place after the asteroid's arrival, perhaps triggered by super-earthquakes following the impact. However, Dr. Courtney Sprain, a geoscientist at the University of Liverpool who led the second study, said this did not mean that volcanoes played no role in the extinctions. Either the Deccan eruptions did not play a role which we think unlikely, or a lot of climate-modifying gases were erupted during the lowest-volume pulse of the eruptions, she explained. The team suggested that instead of the gases blasting out as the volcanoes exploded, they leaked out gradually in the years, building up to the eruptions. While a definitive answer to the question of what killed the dinosaurs so far remains elusive, Dr. Sprain and her colleagues argue it was most likely the result of... A one-two punch from both volcanoes and asteroid. Rapid warming of the Earth's climate may have left remaining creatures adapting to life in hot conditions, only to be faced with rapid cooling after dust from the asteroid impact blotted out the sun. Well, whether it was asteroid or volcano is kind of besides the point. The point is that dinosaurs died out, but the reason I feature this story is that it's a very interesting story. I know I usually take news stories and relate them to the elite's agenda, this obviously is not a new story in that way, but is worth pointing out because it shows that history books can be wrong. There's a lot about official history which needs revising. And if you can give people a distorted sense of the past, you give them a distorted sense of the present. World events happen and the official line is communicated through whatever medium without being challenged. And then that becomes official history. Interestingly, I came across an article in the Daily Mail talking about research from a scientist saying that if the dinosaurs survived, they would today be some kind of reptilian humanoid form. This is in the Daily Mail. This was published in April 2012. Welcome to our new lizard overlords. Study suggests alien worlds could be full of super intelligent dinosaurs. NASA's Kepler telescope scans the skies for a habitable worlds, but an American chemist suggested the whole project might be a terrible idea. Ronald Breslow suggests that life forms based on slightly different amino acids and sugars could take the form of huge, ferocious dinosaurs that have evolved to have human-like intelligence and technologies. We would be better off not meeting them, says Breslow, who claims that it was a stroke of luck than an asteroid or a volcano. Wiped out dinosaurs on earth, leaving the field clear from mammals such as humans. On other worlds, dinosaurs could have evolved into huge intelligent warriors armed with high-tech weaponry, but without losing their hunger for fresh meat. Of course, Breslow says, showing that it could have happened this way is not the same as showing that it did. An implication from this work is that elsewhere in the universe there could be life forms based on D-amino acids and L-sugars. Basically, acids and sugars relating to DNA. Such life forms could well be advanced versions of dinosaurs if mammals did not have the good fortune to have the dinosaurs wiped out by an asteroid or collision, as on Earth, or a volcano, we would be better off not meeting them. In the report, noted scientist Ronald Breslow, PhD, discusses the century-old mystery of why the building blocks of terrestrial amino acids, which make up protein sugars in the genetic materials DNA and RNA, exist mainly in one orientation or shape. There are two possible orientations, left and right, which mirror each other in the same way as hands. In order for life to arise, proteins, for instance, must contain only one chiral form of amino acids, left or right. Chiral means asymmetric in such a way that the structure and its mirror image are not superimposable, which means that the molecules cannot be placed on top of one another and give the same molecule. The way that they word things in academia and science... Why can't they just explain it simply? But I'll get to that as we go along. The article goes on. With the exception of a few bacteria, amino acids in all life on Earth have the left-handed orientation. Most sugars have a right-handed orientation. How did that so-called homoturality, the predominance of one chiral form, happen? Breslow describes evidence supporting the idea that the unusual amino acids carried to a lifeless earth by meteorites about 4 billion years ago set the pattern for normal amino acids with the L geometry, the kind in terrestrial proteins and how these could lead to D sugars of the kind in DNA. I thought that was interesting for what it was worth that dinosaurs would today potentially be some kind of intelligent humanoid form had they not died out. One area of research which is new to me is that of great geological catastrophes in the ancient world recorded in various historical accounts. Ancient accounts talk about a golden age of humanity, of much more advanced knowledge and technology, even with the technology we have now. It's interesting that that scientist Breslow mentioned in that article that dinosaurs, if they'd not died out on this world or on another world, would have evolved to have become intelligent enough to have high technology. Ancient accounts talk about a golden age of humanity of much more advanced knowledge. The theory of evolution, Darwinism, suggests that evolution can only go forward. But if today there was a global disaster and we no longer had electricity or oil, we would be in a primitive society instantly with all knowledge lost and we'd have to start again. And as subsequent generations passed, The idea that there was a society of the technology and knowledge we have now would be seen as ridiculous and mere myths. Talking about geological catastrophe, when you look at the official story of how the Grand Canyon was scored out, it's that the Colorado River did the scoring, but it's a tiny sliver of water in a massive canyon, 277 miles, 446 kilometers long, up to 18 miles, 29 kilometers wide, and attains a depth of over a mile. 6093 feet or 1857 meters and a sliver of water scored out i think there's a bit more to know there's an article here in the metro from the 5th of march 2010 which says what killed the dinosaurs asteroids ice age or volcanoes A major study has just been published claiming it has conclusive proof that an asteroid strike was responsible for the global catastrophe. We take a look at some of the competing theories on offer to see if they can provide the ultimate answer to the age-old question. What killed the dinosaurs? Asteroid impact. Probably the most widely known theory, the asteroid impact theory maintains that a meteorite roughly the size of the Isle of Wight crashed into the Earth's surface 65 million years ago. The impact triggered a series of powerful earthquakes and forest fires as well as a number of continental landslides. Combined with the debris that was, according to Dr. Combined with the debris that was, according to Dr. Joanna Morgan, ejected at high velocity into the atmosphere, the planet was plunged into darkness, causing a global winter that killed off many of the living species on Earth. Researchers also claimed to have found a 65 million year old crater measuring 125 miles at Chitrileb in Mexico, which was mentioned in that first article about dinosaurs. It is thought to be the impact site where the collision occurred with the force of more than 1 billion atomic bombs. Dr. Gareth Collins of Imperial College London maintains the asteroid was about the size of the Isle of Wight. The explosion of hot rock and gas would have looked like a huge ball of fire on the horizon grilling any living creature in the immediate vicinity. Ironically it turned out to be a great day for mammals who had lived in the shadow of the dinosaurs prior to this event. Supervolcanoes The supervolcano theory argues that the asteroid impact was merely a prelude to a number of volcanic eruptions that occurred in an area in India named the Deccan Traps. Researchers have discovered four separate waves of eruptions that released huge clouds of sulfur dioxide into the air, bringing showers of acid rain in turn. These waves are estimated to have occurred between 67.5 and 65 million years ago. Geophysicists argue that the asteroid impact could not have kicked up. Enough dust or sulfur dioxide to cause global climate change. The supervolcanoes may have dispersed between 10 and 150 billion tons of sulfur dioxide with each pulse. Geologist Goethe Keller states that after the initial pulse, the species disappear. We have essentially very few left, and by the fourth flow, the extinction is complete. The supervolcano theory is the biggest challenge to the classic impact theory. Though Rick Forsten of Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory is not swayed by the argument. There was volcanism at the time. There's always volcanism, but that impact is so significant you cannot ignore it. Combined theory, Keller proponent of the supervolcano theory, stresses that her findings do not deny that an impact occurred and noted that a combination of the two theories could provide the ultimate answer. The dinosaurs might have faced an unfortunate coincidence of a one-two punch of Deccan volcanism and then a hit from space. We just showed the Deccan eruptions might have had a significant impact, no pun intended. Ice Age. A team from Holland and Italy discovered fossilized cold-water plankton that dates back 65 million years in an area that had previously been warm seen in Tunisia. Dino flagellates and benthic forminifera plankton were found in the first time dated fossils that provide clear evidence of climate swings. Matthew Huber of Indiana's Purdue University said the fossils indicate that something suddenly made the water cold enough to support these tiny critters. We theorize that the meteor strike produced huge quantities of sulphate particles such as are often blown high into the atmosphere during a volcanic eruption, and these particles shielded the Earth's surface from sunlight. The decrease in solar energy ultimately caused a long cold spell, called an impact winter that persisted for years. The hypothesized ice age would have killed off many of the planet's living species into extinction, including dinosaurs. The find does not, however, reveal the catalyst for the sudden climate change, so while the ice age may have been the method of extinction, the event that preceded it, widely regarded to be the asteroid impact, would be the cause. Well, again, history books are just what is widely accepted to be, it doesn't mean it actually is the truth. I've seen it suggested that the Ice Age happened not as an age, but in an instant. Here's an article from the BBC from April 2007. Fossilized Trees Mystery Solved A Cardiff fossil expert has identified a pair of 385 million year old trees thought to be among the world's oldest American researchers found fossilized remains in New York State two years ago but their identity was unknown They called in Dr. Christopher Berry from Cardiff University who confirmed the remains are from the genus Watieza a fern-like plant which formed Earth's first known forests I wonder why they come up with these names for these plants and vegetation I don't know Anyway The article goes on. Dr. Berry described the discovery as a spectacular find. The upright stumps of fossilized trees were first uncovered after a flash flood in Gilboa, New York, more than a century ago. But until two further fossils were found two years ago, which had fallen sideways with their trunk, branches, twigs and crowns still intact, no one knew what the entire trees looked like. The American team called in Dr. Berry, who has 17 years of tree fossil expertise to help. Dr. Berry of Cardiff University's School of Earth, Ocean and Planetary Sciences said it was a spectacular find which had allowed scientists to recreate early forest ecosystems. This was also a significant moment in the history of the planet he said the rise of the forests removed a lot of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere this caused temperatures to drop in the planet became very similar to its present day condition Well, I talk about human caused climate change in episodes 18, 29 and 52 and I say it's very different to what we're told anyway the article goes on branches from the trees would have fallen to the floor and decay providing a new food chain for the bugs living below Dr. Berry worked with colleagues from Binghamton University, in New York, and from New York State Museum. Their findings are published in the nineteenth of April edition of the scientific journal Nature. Well, what this is saying is that trees, an enormously long time ago, were found in were found intact. Well, how could that have happened unless the ice age happened instantly? There is a type of rock known as erratics. Erratics are a type of rock which has travelled up to hundreds of kilometres from the original location. Erratic means to wander. These erratics can be 15,000 to 17,000 tonnes. What if these rocks and boulders were not moved by glaciers but by an extreme tsunami? There's an article here on researchgate.net. A study. Huge erratic boulders in Tonga deposited by a prehistoric tsunami. This is from December 2008, along some coastlines, there exist erratic boulders apparently emplaced by tsunamis or cyclonic storms. Evaluating the origin and time of emplacement provides crucial information in constraining the frequency, severity, and location of coastal hazards. Here, we describe seven large coral limestone boulders near the village of on Tongatapu, Southwest Pacific, apparently emplaced by a prehistoric tsunami. These boulders all lie ten to twenty meters above sea level and above any possible source. All are one hundred to four hundred meters from the present shoreline, and it says there is indications that all were in place during the last interglacial sea level high stand. And it says boulders must have been in place either within the Holocene. And it says the largest boulder with dimensions of fifteen meters by eleven meters by nine meters. Said to be approximately 20 times more massive than any reported boulders and placed by historically documented storms, may be the largest known tsunami storm erratic worldwide, situated above its source. And it says they performed computer simulations to assess whether tsunamis produced by earthquakes, undersea landslides, or volcanoes could have placed the Fahifa boulders. Nikolai Vavilov, a prominent Russian and Soviet agronomist, botanist, and geneticist, who studied 50,000 wild plants from all over the world found that they came from only eight centers of origin and all of them mountainous. And all this is without mentioning land masses under the ocean like Atlantis, said to be part of ancient Athens and Mew and Lemuria, either in the Indian or Pacific Ocean. It's said that these places never existed, but you can see stone architecture of different cities and places under the ocean in certain parts of the world. How did they get there? on to the next part of our story space it's been suggested that there was not only catastrophe on earth but also in the heavens Emmanuel velikovsky a russian psychoanalyst and researcher wrote about a different planetary lineup i've talked before in episode 46 about saturn originally being our prime sun and velikovsky said basically the same velikovsky talks about this time as the golden age hesiod one of the earliest greek poets Believed to have been active between 750 to 6, believed to have been active between 750 to 650 B.C., wrote a golden race of mortal men who lived in the time of Cronos. Cronos was the Greek god of Saturn, the god of time. When he was reigning in heaven, and they lived like gods without sorrow of with heart, remote and free from toil, miserable age rested not on them. The fruitful earth enforced bare them. Talmud. The word Khema is their name for the source of the Great Flood and Velikovsky writes about how this is a name for Saturn. Velikovsky talks about a great deluge which is another way of saying the Great Flood. The Golden Age has been given the name the age of Kronos and Kronos is the Greek god of Saturn as I said. Then came the Great Deluge, the geological catastrophe that brought an end to that world and Velikovsky writes that Saturn after the catastrophe was the ring devastated planet we have today. Saturn has come to be known as the old sun, or the dark sun, the black sun, the dark lord. Clearly something happened to Saturn to give it that name and to make it the devastated planet it is today. There's two famous storms on Saturn. One's a storm that takes the form of an eye, and there's a permanent hexagon storm on the north pole of Saturn, which is interesting because the hexagon is an expression of the hexagram, and a hexagram is a flattened out cube, and a cube, especially the black cube, is an ancient symbol for Saturn. A hexagon has six points, and six is a number relating to Saturn, because of what's known as the magic square of Saturn, which is also the magic square of Freemasonry, not by coincidence, which is a square. Each row and column of the magic square contains three numbers. The square contains 9 numbers in total, from 1 to 9. Each row, column, and diagonal adds up to 15. And in numerology, you keep adding numbers until you get a single number. So 1 and 5 is 6. So 3 lots of 15, numerologically 666. That's where that comes from, because Saturn and Satanism are fundamentally connected. As I say, I talk about Saturn a lot more in episode 46. Velikovsky talks about a near collision with Jupiter and Saturn which caused Saturn to explode and become a fraction of the size it once was and to be moved into its current orbit so far away from Earth. This was highly controversial when Velikovsky wrote this in his book Worlds in Collision, which often means that he was saying something right. When the entire establishment or one area of the establishment comes down on you for writing or saying something, then there's a good chance you're on the right track, or at least close to it. Not always, but in some cases. Velikovsky was roundly mocked for what he said, which is another sign, again, that often that someone's saying something right. The ancient Greeks talked about Zeus, Jupiter, taking Kronos' Saturn's place as the dominant body. Whatever the truth about what happened, something happened. Because why would the ancients worship Saturn as they provably did, as I talk about in episode 46, if it was always where it is now, it's from Earth, just a tiny dot. Why would they worship it as they did, if it was always there? So, something changed the arrangement of planets. Call it the near-miss of Jupiter by Saturn. Call it electromagnetic phenomena. Call it whatever, but clearly something happened. Saturn is now a very different planet to how it's described by the ancients. David Talbot, researcher and co-author of the Electric Universe with Wallace Thornhill talks about from his reading of ancient myths an electromagnetic disturbance caused Mars to be moved close enough to Earth that massively powerful electrical discharges were exchanged between them. Mars is known as the God of War. Is that why? This electrical and electromagnetic activity and the rearrangement of the planetary alignment is said to have caused mayhem, not just in the heavens but also on Earth. And... It's at this point that we need to look at the electrical level of the universe. Gravity is incredibly weak when you consider what it's given credit for. Especially when compared with the electrical level of the universe. Or the electrostatic force. Which is said to be one thousand trillion 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 times more powerful than gravity. Some people say that all this talk about an electrical level of the universe is rubbish in science. But what about lightning? What about the aurora borealis? Other planets experience lightning storms, not just Earth. How can we even have electricity if there is no electricity in the universe? And when there's a lightning storm, it doesn't just end where we see it, it goes right up into the atmosphere. Nikola Tesla, the Serbian boy genius and inventor, the real scientific genius of the 20th century, not Einstein, created lightning storms above his house using technology and he created the warden cliff tower or invented it to take electricity from the earth's electromagnetic field and use it as a wireless transmission system he also invented the system of electricity that we have now in terms of the the system of the electricity flowing the current that we use now and he died penniless in a new york hotel room because he was inventing things and talking about things that the powers that be would rather people not know about technology people would rather not have access to and if you are using your genius to advance the elites agenda then you're given all the support you need and you may even become very famous for it and your products will be sold through multinational corporations but if you are inventing and talking about technology that the elite don't want people to have access to, well good luck. And the Wardenclyffe Tower invented by Tesla was a technology that would take electricity from the Earth's electromagnetic field and use it as a wireless transmission system. Tesla died in 1943 technological knowledge of wireless technology is not new this knowledge goes back a long long time the technology that he was creating and the knowledge of how to invent it and how it would work is not new and tesla could invent what he invented because he had crossed the line which mainstream science will not do not least because it doesn't see the validity of it not least because it doesn't see the validity of it, but also because of, in terms of mainstream science as a whole, the implications for the elite's agenda if it does. And that line is the understanding of the nature of reality in the universe and how to use that knowledge to create what we would call advanced technology, which is nothing more than using technology to access the electromagnetic fields and the understanding of reality to create technology that would benefit people or not depending on how you want to use the technology and once you cross the line of understanding reality you can make enormous leaps forward technologically colossal leaps forward and that was what tesla did and that's why he invented what he invented at the time he invented it technological possibility on one side of that line is what we have now. And then there's a technological possibility on the other side of that line, which is light years ahead. And that's the level of technological understanding that the intelligence arena and the underground bases are working with. And that's the level of technological understanding that we're seeing being rolled out now through corporations and through front people in the way that I'm going to describe as we go on. This mayhem caused by this electrical and electromagnetic activity with the rearrangement of the planets, this electrical and electromagnetic, this electrical and electromagnetic activity caused by the rearrangement of the planetary alignment caused geological catastrophe on Earth, it's said, and human society as it was then was no more. It's said to have been a predominantly right brain society, Writer and researcher Steve Taylor, a lecturer in psychology at Leeds Beckett University. Writer and researcher Steve Taylor, a lecturer in psychology at Leeds Beckett University, talks about the fall of man in his book The Fall. And he says that around 4,000 BC, there was a dramatic change in the human psyche. Prior to this change, there was no war, no male dominated society, no massive inequality, us and them, no class structure, and no organized religion. Taylor talks about the new psyche emerging around 4000 BC, which was the exact opposite of the society that was before. American cultural historian Ryan Eisler calls this the great change, a change so great indeed that nothing in all we know of human cultural evolution is comparable in magnitude. American researcher James DeMeo, founder of the Oregon Biophysical Research Laboratory, a non-profit science research and educational foundation established in 1978, talks about this new psyche emerging out of the Middle East and Asia, and he talks about what he calls Saharasia. DeMeo says this happened around 6,000 years ago after violent invasions by Indo-European and Semitic peoples. (laughs) Indo-European is a language family of several hundred related languages and dialects. This includes Hungary, Finland, Estonia, Turkey, Georgia, and Azerbaijan, and parts of Asia, Iran, Afghanistan, India, except the southern states, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and Sri Lanka. And Semitic does not relate to Jewish people. That's a scam to justify censorship or to try to justify censorship on behalf of the Zionist agenda, which I talk about in episode 10. Semitic refers to a group of speakers of languages, the vast majority of which were actually Arabic. Anyway, this American researcher, James DeMille says, with very few exceptions, there is no clear and unambiguous evidence for warfare or social violence on our planet Earth prior to around 4000 BC, and the earliest evidence appears in specific locations from which it firstly arose and diffused outward over time to infect nearly every corner of the globe, says D'Amel, who today directs his own private institute in rural Oregon, that's this biophysical research laboratory I just mentioned. A massive climate change shook the ancient world when approximately 6,000 years ago vast areas of lush grassland and forest in the old world began to quickly dry out and convert into harsh desert. The vast Sahara Desert, Arabian Desert and the giant deserts of the Middle East and Central Asia simply did not exist prior to 4000 BC, circa 4000 BC, says the And it's believed that places like Babylon and Sumer, before that which we now call Iraq, especially Mesopotamia, was the cradle of civilization humanity emerged from there when in fact from this alternative historical perspective that I'm going through in this episode it was the re-emergence of humanity rather than the emergence this re-emerged humanity was the new psyche humanity when you come from this perspective American psychologist Julian Jaynes talks about what he calls the bicameral mind which is far more right-brained and able to experience reality in a different way Jane says there was a change thousands of years ago where the bicameral mind was replaced by the intellectual mind. This has stunning relevance to modern times in everyday life because, as I've talked about before, the decision makers in society and those running society are those predominantly perceiving through the left brain. The left brain has, to a large extent, created the society we have today in terms of the perception we're given through the education system where the left brain is constantly stimulated in favour of the right brain, the more creative, imaginative side of the brain, and those running society and in the institutions of state and society. We have an education system which is based on being told mostly left brain information and left brain subjects being promoted in favour of right brain subjects. This is why creative classes like music and art are constantly cut at the expense of left brain subjects. I've talked about education in episodes 5, 15 and 21. Those students who are the best at taking information into the left brain and recalling it later on, on an exam paper, are rewarded with exam passes and they go to college and university. And if they're successful there, they then go out to their specializations, be it teaching, or science, or law, or government, or corporate CEOs, etc. Which means, in other words, this system and society is run by people locked in left-brain perception. It's also run by people who take the official version of everything and don't question it, just repeat it. The education system implants a barrier, a limiter for perception, so only the mainstream consensus of how things are is taught and perceived. And those who buy and memorise it best, doctors, teachers, journalists, academics, scientists, experts etc then go out into society and either run human society especially if they come to government or relay information people like them are previously relayed after going through the same education system like teachers or other people who were good at taking an official version and repeating it without question journalists a hamster's will comes to mind where the same perceptions and the same limited perception is just repeated generation after generation after generation you go to school a teacher will teach something they don't know if it's true they're just teaching it they believe it is because it's the official version they teach that to the generation they're teaching and then some of them will be teachers and they'll teach that next generation and then some of them will be teaching it so it just goes round and round and round. people believe it because the teacher is saying it how many times do people how many how many times do people question what they're taught in school this postage stamp breadth of perception because it knows it knows it all it will dismiss any information or perception beyond its limited range of perception because as it's outside its range of perception it therefore by definition cannot be true that's the perception that suits those who want to run society and run the world there's a very clever sleight of hand when it comes to cleverness and intelligence and that is getting the population to perceive cleverness and intelligence and wisdom is the same thing. They're not, they're three separate concepts. Cleverness is the left brain just taking in information, it's memory. Intelligence, real intelligence, is awareness and understanding which cannot be taught. You might call it being sharp, you might call it innate intelligence, I've seen it referred to as that before. And wisdom is a regulator of behavior. For example, it's very clever to know how to build an atomic bomb, but it's not wise to do so, and certainly not to use it. If you can get people to perceive intelligence as memory, cleverness, the intellect, then they will believe that because other people are able to remember information better than them and understand information through their left brain better than them, which is often jargon and needlessly complex technicality, that those other people must be more intelligent, that those other people must be clever. And because you have combined the definitions of cleverness and intelligence into one, then those people must also be more intelligent. And therefore, they should be looked up to and looked to for advice on what to think and what to do in life. My point and my contention is that everything is simple. Everything. It's just that useless complexity makes some things seem complicated. Why do we have needless complexity and technicality? Why intellectualize everything? Why not just use simple words and communicate in ways that everyone can understand? People think that just because there's long words and jargon that you have to be clever to understand it. But if it were explained simply, then the people who think you have to be clever to understand it would understand it as well. I say there's a very good reason why we have this complexity. And I say it's an agenda reason. If you can persuade people to perceive cleverness you can then foster trust in all of those perceived to be clever. This leads to the vast majority of people looking to the clever people for information and to understand society. What if this is why education and academia is what it is? People look to academia and the institutions of society to tell them how to live their life and what to believe and what to think and what to do because they perceive they're cleverer so they must know. And what comes back from those sources of information? The official narrative. The left brain is human society in terms of the way it's run. The right brain sees everything in a much more simple way. And it can see the simplicity. And that's why the education system is as it is. With its preference for left brain information. The conventional theory of evolution suggests that evolution can only go forward. But when you look from this alternative perspective, it's clear that it can either stay stagnant for a long period of time, and it can also go backwards. Human society since the emergence of Steve Taylor's new psyche has been a series of eras. And one thing they've all had in common is the manipulation of the perception of the people. A tiny few people, the elite, less than 1% cannot control billions of people physically. It has to be done by manipulating the population's perceptions and through that their actions. The oldest form of perception manipulation is religion, where a guy in a temple wearing a frock reads out of a religious book and tells you what God says you must think, do and say to get into heaven. The different religions are just variations on a theme when you look at it. Even down to the way religious deities are described, people think the religions are different, but just variations on a the theme. I talk about this more in episode 41. Then came science, mainstream science, which says that the universe was not created by any entity. The Big Bang created the universe, and everything's an accident and a cosmic coincidence. Science has been hijacked by government agencies and official organizations, like the World Health Organization, supposedly conducting research and reporting their findings. In relation to health that's the official line anyway but the truth is as with any organization most of the people working in the in those organizations won't have a clue about the bigger picture and ultimately it exists only to report what the agenda the elite wants them to report about health that's why they're a world health organization they wouldn't be that unless they signed from the song sheet of the official narrative these organizations like the World Health Organization exist separate to what the elite in their agenda want. If they did, they wouldn't be around for long. If it's a world anything organization, the chances are that it's just there to communicate what the system wants. The same with government organizations, the same with all these official organizations. United Nations is the same. The land the United Nations headquarters sits on was donated by the Rockefellers. That would never have happened unless there was a benefit in it for them and their agenda. And if the Rockefellers are behind it, then it's always bad for humanity. Because that's all they do. Same with the Rothschilds, same with all these elite figures. Next came the education system. This is where instead of sitting in a building and being told what to believe by a guy in a frock, like a mosque or a synagogue or a church... You're sitting in a building told what to believe by a guy or woman in a shirt and trousers. A teacher, a lecturer, a professor, in a college or a school or a university. But it's exactly the same principle as religion. Just a different format. You've got the holy books, the textbooks. Exactly the same model, just a different format. Who have been through the same system you're going through. Have been successful in it and are now telling you what it told them. A more modern form of perception manipulation followed with the mainstream media. Notice I say mainstream media because there are journalists outside of it who are real journalists. And there's journalists outside of the mainstream media who are more or less exactly the same as the mainstream media. It's a whole spectrum we're talking about. But there are journalists outside the mainstream media who are actually journalists worth the name. They obviously don't get the same prominence as those in the mainstream media. Because that's why those in the mainstream media are in the mainstream media. That's why the mainstream media is the mainstream media. Because mainstream means that it gets out to as wide a range of people as possible. It wouldn't be. These organizations like Fox and CNN and Sky News and all of these news organizations. They would not be as successful as they are. And they wouldn't be on air for very much longer if they started talking outside of the official line. And this is where the media, people who've been through the system I've just mentioned, who perceive from that perspective are reporting the world from that perspective. The mainstream media takes statements from official sources of perception manipulation on various subjects relating to human society and world events and from the government and repeats them without investigation to the people who believe it because the media said it so when you've got a reporter on the news talking about a story relating to government they'll talk to a government figure maybe a politician or maybe a political leader member of parliament and they'll tell you the viewer what the politician or political leader or whoever has told them they don't know if it's true, they're just repeating it. The media also regularly features experts, as they're called, who have been through the education system of perception manipulation, and repeats to the media what the system has told them. And the media reports to the people what the expert told them, and then the people repeat to other people what the media told them. People saying a few people can't control the world. Well, they can when you've got this perception manipulation system and this repetition of the official version of everything I talked earlier about epigenetics and this is fundamentally significant to what we call human nature and this overall story if we hypothesize that this story I've told is a true story of the planetary realignment and the geological catastrophes and I'm not saying it is but if we postulate that it is because this is all new to me, then this means that this psyche change could have happened epigenetically. In other words, I've talked about it before, but epigenetics basically means that not just physical changes are passed on down the generations, like maybe an illness or an inherited condition, but perceptual changes and emotional reaction changes are passed on down the generations. Certain gene functions are switched on or off due to epigenetics. There is an observed phenomena called the 100th monkey syndrome, whereby a particular species, let's say monkeys, it was first observed in monkeys when enough of a species learns a particular skill. Other, others of that species, like other monkeys, not present when the skill was originally learned develop an understanding and aptitude for this new skill, even though they weren't there when the skill was originally learned. This would seem to be impossible except for the fact that DNA, as I said earlier, is a receiver transmitter of information. It's a harmonic oscillator resonating to the frequency of the information it's receiving and transmitting. Everyone has their own unique DNA frequency, but there's also an overall species frequency. There's also stories of people who have had organ donations and taken on aptitudes and personality traits of the donors. This again would seem to be impossible, but it's not when you realize DNA is the hard drive of the body computer, as I said earlier. Thus, the cells of each organ store information and awareness of the owner. And when you get an organ donation, that information is downloaded into the body computer to be accessed. Scientists used to believe that the brain at birth was the brain for life. But more recently they have realized that's not the case. And that the brain can actually change in response to perceptual influences, emotional influences, experiences. This is called brain plasticity. And when you change perception, especially if you seriously change perception on something, then that causes the neurons to fire in the brain in a different way when you look at human and other species development from the perspective i'm outlining in this episode it would seem that what we call evolution is not the forward progress of a species through time but merely the state that the body computer is in through the dna at any point evolution is a computer program the program is influenced by perceptual changes either inherited or acquired or downloaded. So, we've looked at the ways human perception is manipulated and the role DNA plays in this in the various stages of perception manipulation. And now we come to the final part of our story technology this is the final stage this has always been planned to be the final stage of this manipulation of perception of humanity and it's been prepared for and it's been being built around us for a very very long long time and we're seeing them get closer and closer to the end game now far longer than most people would believe as we look back through this timeline of human development and human society that i'm outlining i feel strongly that human society has been developed going back through the generations with a few big shifts along the way towards the goal of a mass technological perception control system and we're now at the point in this timeline where it's playing out and being built around us the creation of a technological sub-reality a technological hive mind to which the human mind is attached and this of course is the transhuman agenda which i talk about in episode 11. this is where perception no longer needs to be manipulated in the way i've described so far with these sources of perception formation in human society it can be delivered directly technologically through this technological connection the agenda is that the human mind is replaced by artificial intelligence which then becomes the new human mind. The advancement of technology in the public arena, as I said earlier, has not been the advancement of technology outside the public arena, which is much faster and much further ahead because it's crossed the line of understanding the nature of reality. It's working on a much different level of understanding. There has been a process through this timeline of bringing in ever more advanced technology And preparing human society for the technology. To eventually reach this point of installing in society. This technological perception control grid. Which is known as the cloud or smart grid. To be run by artificial intelligence. You can't just bring in. The technology we're seeing being released now. At a time when it would be perceived. That the technology must have come from outer space such as the advancement of the technology at the time it's introduced compared with the technological understanding at that time you've got to build to it you've got to build to it so that when it comes out it's believable that it could exist at that time you've got to get people to believe that some geek in a garage or in a university dorm room or some corporation actually invented it so it's got to come out at a time where it's feasible that that could have happened at that time and that's why now we're seeing this technology and the advancement of technology get faster and faster and faster because we're at a time where they can pretty much roll virtually anything out and nobody's going to question where it came from and the goal was always to get to this point even though the technology already existed long before we got to this point. So, as we look back through this timeline, there have been several forms of perception manipulation, which have happened not just to keep people in the dark about the truth, and in a perceptually manipulated state, but also to move people to the point where they could be clever enough, and technologically aware enough, to understand and use the technology and some of them to build and work on this technology and this technological control grid but not conscious enough to understand that that's what they're doing and the full implications of using and being addicted to this technology and that's where we are now we are now at the point where we make the choice to become aware and stop this runaway train to technological enslavement and the end of the human mind or we choose because it is a choice in the age of information, where more and more people are becoming aware of the truth of the world and society, to ignore or stay ignorant of the information, and thus that choice will culminate in the end of human as we know it. Where does it go from here? That's down to us. So, that's it for this week. That's the news, that's the context and connections, that's pay-per-view. More to come next week. Until then, goodbye.